first of all, black men have not ever built a viable society that is safe for their women and children ever. Okay. These people, our ancestors, our African ancestors sold their women and children. That's the only reason I'm over here fighting for my life because Africans sold my ancestors to the white man. That's how we got over here. But they, they like to get online and omit that entire situation happened. Welcome to the All-American Savage Show podcast with your host, John Burke, and his far more attractive co-host, me. Now, let's get into it. That's what your mom said. And welcome back to the All-American Savage Show podcast. I am your host, John Burke. Happy Monday to you. Thank you for being here with me. Actually, it's not Monday. I'm sorry. It's Wednesday. Oh, God. Good Lord. Like, I'm still kind I'm not going to lie. I'm a little hungover. Um, I'm just going to put it out there. I don't care. I was. It was the 4th of July. Get off me. Don't, don't judge me for this, folks. As you know, today's episode is brought to you by ShellshockCBD.com. The 4th of July special is still going on. If you go to ShellshockCBD.com, you can save 15% using code LIBERTY, as well as our sister company, 1920brand.com. You cannot beat this with a brick stick. What are you waiting for? Today is the last day, and also double your reward points. If you're a loyalty member, you get double your points. You cannot beat that, folks. Again, ShellshockCBD.com. Sorry for the early show today, taking off to St. Louis, uh, going to go be on Andy Frasilla's all uh, Real AF podcast, and then I'm going to be jetting over to see Austin Peterson, libertarian um, extraordinaire, good, great friend of mine. I'll be on his show, I believe, on Friday, and then I'm back home Saturday, and I, I'm not going to lie, I really just don't like traveling anymore because I've, I think like I've made my home to the point now where I really enjoy it. I'm turning into kind of a hermit. But uh, anyway, that being said, welcome to the show. I finally got her. I finally got her to come on the show. She's been very busy. She's been going through a lot. Sharika Soul, who, if you don't follow her on Twitter, you really should. She has amassed a very large following speaking out. And what she speaks out on is going to surprise you a little bit because you don't see a lot of this. Sharika, thank you for coming to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me, John. <laughs> and so... Let's just get straight into it. You speak out a lot about black culture in America. What what possessed you to start saying the things you're saying? Because it, it draws a lot of pushback. Honestly, it just came from my experiences over the years. Um, and when I was in my 20s, there's no way I would have tweeted half the things that I say now. <laughs> why, um, why is that? Well, when I was 20, I had a younger friend group. You know, there was a lot of, I was hanging out with people in my race. I, my friends were fr had boyfriends that were black. Like, I just couldn't have fathomed saying something that I would think would, you know, upset them or mm. anything like that. And now that I'm older, you know, I'm 39, I don't care anymore. You know, mm. um, I'm not 22 and trying to fit in. Um, so I can get invited to parties on the weekends anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but it really, it really just comes from my own personal experience, which is why I don't back down because mm -hmm. I'm not going to be told how I've been treated by my own race my entire life. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm adopted. So that goes to say, hey, the beginning of my life, 
I wasn't protected by my own race. I wasn't being taken good care of. And I forgave them. I forgave them. I went on with my life. But after, even after adoption, when abuse from your own community continues to be normalized, it's hard for me to keep taking it on the chin and saying, you know, let's all kumbaya and, and be on the same team and defeat whiteness together. Mm-hmm. I, you know, they're on their own as far as I'm concerned. Let's go back to the beginning then. Let's let's get a background on you. You said you were adopted. Can you walk us through your childhood up until your adult life now so people can kind of get some context of where you're coming from and your experiences? I was adopted in 1989. I was four years old, me and my sister. We were actually a rescue adoption because the foster home where we were staying in um, ended up getting like raided or something. Something happened. So me and my sister were placed in an emergency foster home, which is the people who ended up adopting us. They decided to keep us, which is my parents in Iowa. So that was when I was four and five. Um, I was born in Chicago to a, a young woman. I don't want to go too many details with that. But my, my real mother ended up being 16 years old with three children. Mm. So the state did not intervene until she popped out a third one and tried to escape from Chicago to Iowa, um, you know, for what she thought would be a better life for us. Obviously, somebody saw a 16-year-old with three toddlers and called CPS, and that's how we uh, eventually were removed. That's, <laughs> so, that's good Lord. Yeah. Good Lord. Do you still talk to your mom today? Um, I met her when I was 14. She had reached out to my adoptive parents uh, wanting to, to meet us, and my adoptive parents allowed that meeting and it was kind of an eye opener. So from like 15 to about 22, I would go and visit her. Uh, when I was 22 is when I stopped visiting. It wasn't every year, it was just off and on between those years. But I learned a lot about my race. You have to understand like being adopted, you're kind of taken away from from all of that. And, and also I was in Iowa, so I did not have any uh, knowledge of how a black people should act or anything like that. And so when I went to go visit my my real my real mother in Chicago, it was very eye opening for me. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was culture shock, even though I myself am black, it was culture shock for me to go into the hood in Chicago as a 14 year old and see how these people were living. You know, I was used to a five bedroom house in Iowa. I was I had no idea that people were living like this. So it was scary. It was eye opening. And through those years, I just learned a lot. And that also motivates me to never back down and be who and 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 stay with my stance. I, I come from the ghetto. I come from the lowest, you know, kind of form of my race. No disrespect to, to, to good black people everywhere. But there is a sector of our race that is really struggling, you know, mental health, education, speaking proper English. And I, I come from that. So I don't feel like I'm betraying my own self by saying, hey, where I come from, it's not safe for kids. It's it's not safe for women. It's not even safe for the men. And we should do something about that instead of pretending that it's white people that, that were in the hood with my mother impregnating her and, and creating an environment where she wasn't safe and she had to run away. You know, you, that, your that's not on parents, white people. Your adopted parents, were they white or are they black? My adopted father is black and my adopted mother is white. Okay. Okay. There's, there's an interesting comparison I just thought of, you know, if you look at your situation, for example, you're, you're being adopted, 
And then you look at someone like Colin Kaepernick, who has a completely opposite stance, who was, again, given up by his parents, adopted by white parents, but now is more pro-black community. And we, we get the undertones of like the anti-white message, the oppression of blacks from whites. And you two have very similar situations, but I don't think he was ever raised in the ghetto, whereas in you were. Do you think that's maybe could be a reason why you have different perspectives on this situation or this, this issue as a whole, as far as like you've actually been there, you know what you're talking about? I think it's because Colin is is male and I am a woman. I feel mm. like him being biracial, he has a stronger desire to be accepted by black men, especially mm. because okay. he's biracial. He wants the black side. He wants black people to accept him. And I'm not saying that, you know, well, I'm why, why is that? Why, why would you want to be accepted? Like, well, I, I, this is new to me, though. I mean, it's not really new, but I'm trying to understand the acceptance factor. Why? Why is that? Um, you know, even, even I, even I struggle with it sometimes. Really? Sometimes okay. I, I am hurt that I'm considered not a good black, that I, that people call me coons or I'm a, I'm a traitor to, to my race and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. We do struggle with that. You, you want to be accepted by people who look like you. And even though he's biracial, you know, his, he, he understands that he's seen as a black man. And I feel like him being in the NFL, <laughs> um, him having a failing career in the NFL. And I feel like part of him was like, what can I do? And um, he decided to grift and, and be the super black, which is which is laughable because he wears the Afro. That's also the sign to me that he is desperate to be to have approval of older black men because he's he's wearing the Afro. He's. Yeah, the BLM. You know. thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was raised by very wealthy white people, you know, and, uh, you know, and if not for those people, who who knows where he would have been? He could have been in a foster home. And I'm not saying he should be grateful for being adopted. I'm just saying the reality is that it is not white people that caused his situation to become a crisis as a baby. It was it was black people. It was black mm-hmm. person not being there for him. So. Given after your adoption and then you got to visit your mother, uh, take it from there. What you said, you you went back and you kind of experienced what the ghetto was like. Can you do you remember any memories from that? Yeah, I remember I met my aunt and that was the first time I'd experienced, you know, the corner store, what you would call drug addicted woman. I Mm. I don't want to use the word crackhead for my own family, but she was she was she was drug addicted Mm. and it was straight out of a movie. It was straight out of you know, uh, a a movie about Compton or something, because again, I was like 14. I'd been, I I wasn't, I was like, this was all culture shock to me. And so meeting her and seeing kind of how she had deteriorated and she's running around asking people for dollars. I mean, she even asked me for a dollar. And then when I couldn't give it to her, she, she kind of got mad. It was just, it was just really toxic. It's really sad Mm. how people, in that area, the South side of Chicago are actually living. It's, it was one of the most bleakest form of lives that I, that I've ever seen. I mean, it might as well be considered a third world country. These people, you know, are living with their lights cut off. They're, they're not able to, uh, you know, kind of get through life without having to struggle for, for each and every single dollar. And then there's also an element where the men, there are very dangerous degenerate men around that neighborhood. I was 15, you know, this is the second time I went back to visit in Chicago and my mother 
my, my real mother told me to go to the store and get her something. So she gave me $2. I was walking down the store and an older black man in a like kind of, I don't know, station wagon car. I'll never forget. It, it was like one of those really old station wagons literally followed me and kept asking me to get in the car. Like he would not go away. I said, I, you know, I'm not going to get in the car. And he, he kept, he followed me all the way to the store, like a whole block down the store. And when I finally went in the store, he drove off. And that was also kind of a realization to me what I would have been going through had I not been removed from an environment where I go outside and there's ghetto thug predators everywhere. You know, there you post a lot about that, too. You you you. And that's why I think that you draw a lot of criticisms from people, a lot of pushback, because, you know, you're highlighting the toxicity within your own community and people don't like hearing that. And you were so you said you were 15, a 15 year old girl that was facing potential abduction in inner Chicago. That's just insane. Well, my mother was 16 with three kids. That's how she got, you know, in that situation. I think what happened was my, well, I've been told this by my uncle that my, my, my grandmother was on drugs. And so there was a gentleman that was coming over and trading the drugs for my mother. And we won't go into all those details, but yeah, I, of course I have a lot of anger because these people, they, first of all, black men have not ever built a viable society that is safe for their women and children ever. Okay. These people, our ancestors, our African ancestors sold their women and children. That's the only reason I'm over here fighting for my life because Africans sold my ancestors to the white man. That's how we got over here. But they, they like to get online and omit that entire situation happened. Omit that we sold ourselves as slaves and that's how we even got over here in America. And, and they, they admit all of that truth and then they want to scream at white people for all that's been going on. When the reality is reparations, we should be asking Africa for reparations because it is African people who got us in this situation where we're at. White people in America have nothing to do with it. And so I do get a lot of pushback um, from saying things like that, but it's the I can truth. imagine. I, want, I can imagine. That's a, you're the first person I've ever heard actually say that because I've it's actually wondered that. Yeah, it's, it's one thing I've wondered as far as like, why now I get the whole process of the, you know, transatlantic slave trade, Southern plantation, sugar plantation, South America, all the way up to Northern America. It's like, I get that. But then you also look at over half a million whites died in the freeing of the slaves, the abolition of slavery in America. So doesn't one kind of cancel the other out? But nobody brings up the fact of who actually sold their own into slavery. And that, like you said, that gets very omitted. And they're, you know, the blame only goes as far as the white American in the early 18, 1700s. But anything before that, it's like, well, we forget that part of history. It's like, well, why? Sold us for corn. They want to get on Twitter and scream at the white man, you know, and I don't I'm just tired of it. You know, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm embarrassed by the men in my race. Even some of the conservatives, they, they love to build their pages up. These black male conservatives, they love to build their pages up. But then you see them hosting spaces, calling everybody racist for pointing out that black men in the hood are dangerous and violent and shooting people. Mm. So which is it? Are you a conservative who's here to protect Americans and stand up for, for values? Or are you pookie? You're pookie. You're pretending and you're LARPing. Because me, I don't need to LARP. I'm a black woman. Everybody understands how black men treat me. 
a black man is never going to treat a white man the way he's going to treat me in private. Mm. Okay. Especially if he's sexually attracted to me, it will never be the same. It will never be the same experience. It can never be taken away from me. If these men were good and I felt safe and I felt loved and I felt respected, I would say that. Mm -hmm. I would say that. But the only experiences that I've had where I've had violence done to me, I've been physically violated, unfortunately, has been with my race of men. And at 39, you know, a lot of people do not see me for my age. People have to understand it is never ending. Okay. If I go to the wrong neighborhood and I get out of my car, there's going to be a ghetto gas station lurker. Okay. Especially if I'm all dressed up like I am now, he's going to follow me around. They are more aggressive to me, in my opinion, that's my personal experience than when I deal with white men. And that's why I'm divested. And that's why I want to talk about it because they're supposed to be an example for my son one day. This is nothing I want for my son. I don't want him to think that it's okay to disrespect the black woman. I don't want him to think it's okay to blame white people for why maybe he didn't get the job that he, you know, that he applied for. You know, I, I, there's nothing that black men are presenting to me that is tangible enough for me to protect them as a whole and be their cheerleader and dedicate my life to being an attack dog because that's, that is the role of the black woman. And that's why I speak out. I am not your attack dog. You do not tell me to go and attack white people. And then I go and do that because I don't get anything. I don't get anything out of it. We get nothing. We become baby mamas depression from thinking everybody, all white people in the world hates us, legal issues when we go protest in the street, we quit nothing from siding with these men. And I, I, that's just where I'm at. I'm not hating the good black men. I know there's some good ones out there, but be so for real, okay? They're not building hospitals. There's three hospitals that are owned by black people in all of America. But do you know how many record labels we have? For these men to go and be rappers and talk about how I'm a, a B word and an H word, we have tons, we have, we have God knows how many record labels we have, but we don't have any hospitals. But these are the same men that want me to, you know, fight for segregation away from white people, knowing I would die if I needed to go to the hospital and we were actually segregated. So there's just nothing. I get nothing out of it and I'm tired. I'm tired of feeling like my role as a black woman is only to be an attack dog for ghetto pookies. I, I don't want to do that. I got to ask, what's a pookie? I've never heard this before. A pookie is not a law abiding black man. Okay. A pookie okay. is a black man that impregnates women, doesn't follow through with the responsibility and sees scamming and crime or gangbanging as a viable way of life. That's a Pookie. Never heard of that before. Pookie and Ray Ray. Sometimes I call them Tyrone. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I, the Pookie, I remember, was Garfield's uh, teddy bear. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's um, my, yeah, whatever. I want to go back to the record label thing, though. We talk about, like, different cultures. And I think, you know, we look at um, what America's been going through. And the cultural issue has been brought to the forefront on many, many different occasions now. And the one thing that I've always wondered is the idea of the hip hop community. What is the negative effects this has had on black culture in America when the music, and I'm not saying like all music, I mean, country music, you know, it's, it's, we have things that are just kind of, they've definitely influenced culture to a degree, but I've never heard of any genre 
to that would even compare to the likes of, say, for example, hip hop, where, again, it's the degradation of women, the promoting of violence, the drug glamorization. Do you feel like this is something that has had a detrimental effect on black culture in America? Yeah, I, you know, I don't even date anymore, John. Like, I'm terrified of being on dating apps or even like trying to meet people. And I know that's like kind of extreme, but it's mostly because I feel like I can't win. Most people look at black women and think that we're all like the ones in the rap videos, you know, Mm -hmm. and it is mentally and emotionally taxing to have to try to convince somebody that I'm not that, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it's had a very, very, very negative um, impact on me personally, because I know that not everybody thinks that all black women are like that, but a lot of people do. And it's hard to constantly engage people who are shocked that I speak proper English, um, that I have um, a little bit of intelligence and a good head on my shoulders. It's it's very exhausting. And hip hop is to blame. You got Snoop Dogg, you know, um, calling us hoes, telling everybody the dark skinned ones are ugly, better pick a light skinned girl. Same with Lil Wayne. He has all types of raps about how Dark skinned girls are ugly. You got to stick with the light skinned hoes, you know? And here I am, a dark skinned woman, you know, like listening to that. Like Mm. my whole life, all these rats talking about me. So, yeah, it makes me shy. It makes me withdrawn. Um, It it makes me sad overall. So so that's a common thing you run into is men that are treating you, say, for example, the same as these hip hop women in the industry that are just basically showing the goods. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, a lot of black women are doing it to themselves. You know, every time you turn around, they got their butt up, head down, twerking. You know, we're doing it to ourselves, but it's hip hop that embraces us behaving that way. Why do you think that is? Why? 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 Like, why do you think that is? Black men do. They don't want us to be okay. You know, I just so I mean, clearly you you were not raised in that. Do you think if you had been raised in Chicago, though, you would have turned out differently? Oh my God. <laughs> if I was raised by a 14 year old in Chicago, yeah, fair yeah enough. I, I think it would have, I don't think I would have, I don't even know if I'd be alive today, yeah. you know? So what got you started speaking out on Twitter? Like when, when did it really start that you just really started like driving the, uh, the nail in the coffin, if you will, on the, uh, the cultural issues there? In 2018, I got with a group of black women um, they were kind of supporting some Candace Owens stuff like that. Make a long story short, uh, we decided that we wanted to divest from black culture as a whole. So I'm actually known in the black community as a divester. Okay. <laughs> and, um, so that's kind of where it started was me and four other black women. The ladies and I have since kind of went our own ways, but there's plenty more that have come along and it's it's kind of grown since 2018. And it's because we, as women, we understand that black women are subjected to financial abuse within their community because it's very normalized for a black man to think that a woman should be feeding him. It's very normal for him to take food that is coming off of a food stamp card that's meant for her children in the hood. I'm only talking about Pookie. Really? Ones, just talking about Pookie. Right. And so we we got together and we, we shared our stories, we shared our experiences, and we all realized, wow, like how are we like five different women, five different states, 
but we're literally like having these same experiences. We have to tell other women so they can feel courage to speak out and, and divest. So right. that's how it happened in 2018. I kind of took a break and during COVID, I, you know, everybody, everything was so wild in COVID. I just didn't even want to be a spokesperson for anything. But I came back about maybe a year ago and I started posting content on TikTok. Somebody had found a video of my son. My son is biracial, he's black and white. And they were leaving very horrible comments. So I made a reply to that, to that, to that situation called Dear Black Men. And it was basically to let them know that yes, my son is black and white. I do not not date you because you're black. I don't date black men because most of them are Ebonic speakers. And I'm not comfortable around Ebonic speakers. You know, I don't want to deal with you or your family telling me that I'm weird and whitewashed. So I just don't deal with them because it's very hard to find a black man that doesn't say the N-word, that doesn't have Ebonic speaking family members, and that, that is going to have the, the patience and the kindness to just accept me that I'm like this because I'm adopted. I'm not trying to be white. I was raised away from you guys by a white woman and a black man. And of course, I wouldn't turn out super ghetto if I'm raised in Iowa, you know? So I just don't like to deal. Sorry, I went on a tangent there. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. It's just, it still strikes me as very um, foreign that people want to be, uh, when, when they grow up, they feel like they should adhere to a set standard or values that is, uh, embraced by their race. Like I wasn't raised that way for me. It was, there was no, and I know this is the difference here between white and black communities. And I don't really feel like there is a white, com there is no white community because number one, we were never really oppressed, but number two, which, you know, when you are in that situation, it does to like, look at Jews, look at blacks. I get that because when you're oppressed, you do form communities to help survive. I understand that whites, at least in America, have never really been in that category before, but even still the idea of trying to grow up and be something similar to a race to me, seems very um, insulting. It removes from you all independence, all individual critical thinking. It means you now have to adhere to set standards handed down by other people because this is how our culture, this is how our race acts. That, to me, is one of the most wasted lives imaginable. I could never imagine saying, I have to do this because this is what black people do or I have to do this because this is what white people do. It's yeah. like, why don't you just do it because that's what you want to do? Yeah, exactly. And so I just... I'm just exhausted with it, whether it's coming from the men or it's coming from media, it's coming from well-meaning conservatives or, or rude liberals. I'm done with it. Mm. You know, I have no control over my adoption. I have no control that somebody who spoke proper English taught me how to speak words. That's why I speak mm -hmm. properly. I don't control any of that stuff. This is this was this is what happened. Uh, mm -hmm. a, a fairly conservative woman came out of being raised in that type of household. And there's nothing wrong with the black woman being conservative. It's good for us to, to want to protect ourselves and believe in the two way. It's good for us to surround ourselves with people who respect law enforcement and think that law enforcement is something that could be an aid to us. Because honestly, I'm more in danger of being killed by a black man than I am a cop. Mm. So there's not, I, I think for black women, which comes back to divesting, it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of quality of life. So I felt like I have to do something, you know, I have to be this, I have to say something because I know black women will see me and they'll say, there's a nice looking black girl. Okay. She probably, okay. Well, let's hear what she has to say. And so weaponizing my beauty, if you want, whatever, that's what I've done. 
You know, mm-hmm. that's what I've done. I, I want black women, gay men, whatever. I don't even if the black men want to, like you need to divest from this idea that we are violent ebonic speakers who hate white people mm-hmm. because that is that is what we are turning our skin into. We are turning our skin into a symbol of white hate. And we can't keep going this way. And as women, we cannot keep supporting men who are leading us down a path which is literally just a race war. That's so oof. Do you think that if women kind of took on your attitude, your perspective, it could change the culture, the black community, the black culture? Because basically, if you don't have women tolerating these men acting in the way they do, do you think it would force cultural change? Oh, yeah. I think they'd be wearing suits and ties if, if, <laughs> if the men were like me. So you think <laughs> you they, put on you, a suit. <laughs> but, you, but you think they would. Like, you think that could... Uh, but why do these women subject themselves to these 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 men that treat them like uh, garbage, like worse than dogs? It's, it's um, tunnel vision. Being adopted helped me see outside of my race. You know, it helped me see other ways of life, other communities other ways of communicating, other ways of problem solving. And, and unfortunately, some people are not given the tools or given access to somebody who even gives a crap to explain to them those things. That's why we see a lot of abonic speakers. Um, you know, they've lived in America all their life, but they struggle saying the word that and there and how, you know, just simple words. And I'm not trying to come down too hard on them. I'm being very realistic. When you have... 15-year-olds who speak Ebonics, raising a whole community, that's what you get. You're mm-hmm. not going to get ed- super educated people every single pregnancy. You know, if your mother is 15 and she's teaching you words and she barely knows words. Yeah. Yeah. And that definitely has a detrimental effect on them being able to out, go out and like get really good jobs, things such as that. Look, education is a big one. People talk about like inner city uh, ghetto schools really lack good teaching because basically teachers don't want to deal with um, the cultural issues of the single parent household and children being raised to be little assholes and teachers don't want to deal with it. And then you basically got, you know, poorly educated black children from inner cities that are not getting good educations. They're not able to get these jobs to pull them out of the ghetto. What's the fix to this? Is, is there a fix to this? Divestment. Divestment. Okay. And I, it's, I know it's so extreme because it's basically like segregation, but only for black people. Mm-hmm. But it, it's the only way, you know, we have to completely separate ourselves from the ones who are anti-white and the ones who want to live in, oppressed, in an oppressed state. We cannot keep, keep being a team because they're literally, they're, they're pulling me down. Sorry if I'm getting angry, but like no, no, even today, Seeing all of the headlines about reparations and seeing this woman, this Cori Bush woman, mm, yeah. get all this publicity, it, it really hurt. It, it's like really upsetting. Like she's literally pulling us down. If anything, on the 4th of July, we should be celebrating how far we've come. You know, we're not slaves, Cory. You don't need to keep cosplaying as if this is you know, 1867, it's it's over. Slavery is over, you know? The KKK is gone, like, it's cool, girl. But she gets to say these outlandish things and get all this, all this attention and everybody, again, they forget that people like me exist and we don't all 
agree. So I have no choice but to divest from the black community and people like that and be ex ex completely extreme because they don't hear us otherwise if I'm just gently telling you, hey, you know, I don't really agree with her. Yeah, it, it makes it very difficult for white people. Like I saw the Cori Bush tweet where she talked about reparation of the 4th of July. It's it's this fear porn. It's this hate mongering and it, it draws the clicks. Social media has definitely exacerbated a lot of the issues that we're currently facing because people are going out there saying things that I, I think by and large they actually don't mean, but they know it's gonna get the clicks. They know it's gonna get their support because younger generations are far more impressionable. Um, say for example, like yourself that's 39, you're not gonna fall for the reparation stack. It's not gonna work. But younger people, look at Joe Biden, let's promise to forgive student loan debt. It's like, that's not even possible, but people don't know that. <laughs> So right. they believe it and they buy into it. But the position that it puts white people like myself into is when you see somebody like Cori Bush say what she says and use her race as a battering ram or a club against white people. And then when white people start pushing back on it, suddenly we're racist. It's like, well, how is that? How does that math add up to me? Because it doesn't make sense. Like if you're going to sit there and put this blame on whites, 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 it's always white guys. White, and I'm just sitting there like, I haven't done anything to anybody. I'm just trying to live my life. Why is it my fault? And then people start getting a little upset about stuff like this that are white, that are not black, and they get labeled as racist. Like, well, you know, if I was sitting there saying, you know, black people should do this, black people should do that, and then you refute me and I call you racist, this gambit is just so dishonest from the start. It's kind of like, what's the point anymore? Like, it's just, now we actually have black universities segregating themselves, like literally segregating them, just like, you know what? And and the ones that do it though, I'm in, I'm in favor of it. It's like maybe you should be segregated because if that's the way you view things, regardless of what your skin color is, then you should go be with your own. You should. And it's like cuz I don't even think like normal black people would want anything to do with you because if that's your mindset, that's poison. Exactly. They're 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 literally putting a target on even black people who aren't even as extreme as I am. I'm a little on the fringe, but there's there's black people who agree with me and they're they're putting us a target on our backs. Mm. I do not want my skin. Sorry, I don't want to get emotional. You're good. You're good. I get it. I do not want my skin turned into a symbol of, of anti-whiteness. I want to be able to go into a store and, and get what I need to get without feeling like, I hope this person doesn't think that I hate them. I'm sorry. And I hope this person doesn't. I'm sorry. You're good. You know what I mean? So... Is that how you kind of, is that how you commonly feel sometimes? Do you think that's what all of this has created? That's what it makes you feel like? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't think that. Like when I see a black woman, I never really think something like that. I know you don't think that, but I do think that even the best white person is probably going to come to a breaking point of being treated like they're evil for existing. Mm. And I have deep compassion for that. Mm -hmm. And I know people think I'm a coon or whatever, whatever. I don't care. I just feel like I know how I feel emotionally when it's so much on me. And to think that I could be doing that to a good white person who who, who would be kind to my son or would be kind to me, anybody of any race. I'm just a sensitive person and I don't like hurting good people, you know. So it is. it has been a lot for me. Um, and I'm sure there's other black people women in the diverse community who also feel the same it puts a target on my back mm. when people like cory bush are allowed to go super viral with these types of statements because she's speaking on behalf of people like me and that that wouldn't be my approach to that issue you know what's so weird about that is like if a white person says something like that 
we don't view it as like, well, they're speaking on behalf of all whites. Like, no, that guy's just retarded. But like if a black person does it, the generalized thinking comes into play. And then people start saying, well, this person's speaking on behalf of all black people. How does that work? How does that make any sense? It's just awful. I just, I just don't, I don't understand why we keep going on this way. You know, I just, I, I get it. Like they make a lot of money. I mean, she's a congresswoman, you know, yeah. she took her anti-white stance all the way to Congress. So I, I kind of understand, but overall, this is, this isn't healthy for us. And I, I don't know what it's going to take to change, but I'm just going to keep speaking out because I, I, I can't stand for people to think that we all hate you. We don't all hate you. We don't all think that you're hurting us or you're the reason that we're not all millionaires. You know, it's just this, these really extreme people that get online and that they're, they're allowed the microphone, you know? Mm. Speaking of you speaking out and the things that you've dealt with as of late, you've actually had to get involved with law enforcement because you've actually had threats against your life. Yeah, it's been weird. Tell me about that. I'm not even like Beyonce or, or like a congressperson. I kind of, it took me a while to process it. I had to take a, a week off. I started getting the death threats in March. And yeah, they did, they just didn't stop. And then uh, I had, to, I called the police every time and they, you know, directed me to, I'm supposed to report it to the FBI for threats to life and stuff like that. And to my shock, they did call me back and they wanted to know more details and what was going on. And I don't want to go too much into it, but yeah, it, you know, they, they, yeah, it has been one of the most craziest things that I, I, that I'm still processing that's happened. People are threatening to end my life because I'm unhappy that I'm unsafe in my community as a woman. Do you know who these people are? I know they're black men. Mm -hmm. You you talked about, um, you know, they, they've come after you in a, a series of ways. I remember reading a lot of your tweets talking about the whole ghetto gaggers thing. And it talked about basically they were trying to say you did porn. You did like they were trying to a character assassinate you and essentially try and discredit all the things you were saying, which come to find out it wasn't even you in these things. When what what kicked that off? That was that was from my TikTok. My TikTok's much bigger than my uh well, that doesn't matter. But on my TikTok, um, I had made that video saying, you know, dear black men, leave me alone. Stop, you know, worrying about who I date. Don't worry about why my son is black and white. This is why I don't date you because you guys are aggressive. You're too aggressive with me and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that went viral and they put it on Twitter. So you know what happens when black Twitter gets a hold of something. It takes a whole new kind mm -hmm. of uh, thing. And somebody on that thread said she's the girl from ghetto gaggers they posted a picture with a woman whose face is you only see this much of her face okay mm -hmm. this is her forehead and the rest of her face is in a watermelon so there was no way for anybody to really be like this is her but mm -hmm. me being dark-skinned i can understand why people who don't like me would be willing to believe it because mm -hmm. you cannot see this woman's face i don't know why or how but it just became a thing and it's and that that was in November 2022. And there has literally not gone a day by where I have not read that word directed at me, whether it's on my TikTok, yeah. on my Twitter. I had to shut down my Instagram because they were, you know, doing weird stuff and tagging me over there. 
Um, I, I just, this is, this is my point, you know? I know there's good black men, but we have to be really honest. There's so many of them that are overly sexual, overly aggressive and violent towards their own group of women and children, and they don't have any shame. You would think that for a group of men that do not want me to tell people that they are mistreating me and other women, why would you continue to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like I have a page of five followers. There's thousands of people who check in on me and follow me. So they, they, they're, they know they're doing this in front of thousands of people. They don't care. We don't care. And it, it got so violent and out of hand that I left my TikTok. I have over 300,000 followers over there. You couldn't pay me to do anything with it right now because it was it was just that sickening. It's, it's one thing to focus on my statements, um, some things they don't align with. But this this was brutal. This was we are going to say whatever we can about this woman to incite the most hate and violence against her they wanted black men to attack me they mm -hmm. wanted to incite men to threaten to kill me i got death threats rape threats they took pictures of my son that they had found on my twitter from a long time ago put a, made a picture with a target in the middle of his head it, it got insane and i'm actually in shock still that and i know you care but I feel the response to watching that many black men degrade a woman who has simply come on the internet to say, I don't feel safe around my race of men is crazy. There's literally nothing I have ever said out of my mouth that warrants the response that I've gotten, you know? They, so it almost, it, it confirms your point as far as like how the reaction to you, as far as targeting you, your child, making the rape threats, death threats, like you're literally proving my point right now when, I'm saying these things you don't like, and rather than refute the accusations with any type of proof or whatever, the factual data, you instead resort to, well, I'm going to kill you. It's like, you're, you're proving my point. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, you know, I, I, I like to let things, you know, go and move on. I'm all about forgiveness and everything, but this is just not something that I think is ever going to be healed. These, I've, I've been through so much as a child mm -hmm. and so much you know, with my adoption and just trying to find my way, this is one of the most disheartening, disheartening things that I could have experienced as a black woman. Because mm -hmm. again, I've not called for anybody to hurt black men. I've not called for anything bad to happen to them. I've simply told them what they need to hear. You are scary. You make me feel unsafe. You make me scared that I'm going to be sexually assaulted when I'm around you because there's not enough many of you who are gentlemen. And instead of saying, okay, maybe we should stop traumatizing the women, you want to further make me afraid of you, you know? So this isn't something that I can just heal from. And I know my following sometimes probably gets upset with me and thinks I'm like super hateful, but they, they do not understand what took place on TikTok. They don't know what it's like to have thousands and thousands of men sexually harassing you nonstop over a video that you're not even in, you yeah. know? And, and can we, and I, can I just describe this video real quick? I'm not going to yeah, go so into yeah. the movie, go ahead. but I want people to understand the video that they're claiming that I'm in, the woman is slapped in the face. She's kicked. It's all, you know, simulated as if she was kidnapped and is being beaten and is about to be essayed. The final thing is they force her to eat watermelon until she vomits. That is what this this thing is. Okay. You know? And so I don't forgive them. I I don't forgive it. 
yeah. because I'm, I'm still dealing with it every single day. People accusing me of being this woman who I'm, I'm clearly not her. And as a black woman in that video, like, why would you subject yourself to such treatment? I get the whole sexual fantasies. I get porn. I I get all that stuff. But the idea of it, like the whole watermelon thing, wouldn't that rub somebody with some self-respect say, no, I'm I'm not going to do that. That's no, that sets us back. Like, this is not what we should be doing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what those girls are going through to, for them to do that. You know, I, I don't want to judge too harshly. Um, but I, I can't imagine that they're feeling they have a lot of other choices um, to build, a, you know, a life because, you know, <laughs> so I don't want to go too hard on the women. I don't agree with the content, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I could never imagine myself agreeing to do something like that. Um, but again, um, when I was 18, I, I made a mistake. I engaged in some adult work, but I very quickly realized this is not what I want to be doing. It was never anything as hardcore as that. But, you know, I, you know, again, when we're talking about black women, they're more vulnerable than the black men. And that's why I've decided to speak out because often people are having this these conversations where they're so focused on black women and the degeneracy that a lot of them showcase, but they're trying to please men. Okay. Mm -hmm. They are trying to please Pookie. They're trying to entice Pookie. They're trying to fit in a lot of, there's a lot of hypersexuality in the black community that comes from the women. But what do you see the men doing online? Mm. There was a 17 year old black girl who came out and said she worked at uh, Home Depot. She was very pretty and she went viral. And you know, all these men did demand for her to open up an OnlyFans. So even when they find a black girl who has preserved herself and who wants to walk with Jesus, they do all they can to try to get her to sexually exploit herself. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not blaming women for their, you know, men for the choices these women are making, but I'm saying there's a motivation there to for for a part of our culture to please these men. And a lot of these men aren't going to be pleased unless you sexually exploit yourself. And I don't know why they're like that. I, I don't know why they're like that. I'm not saying like white men don't like porn. I'm just saying that yeah. I've never seen them push so hard for black women to be to sexually exploit themselves and then turn around and call us whores when they do. You know, when you when you look at like the common black man and the the situations you're talking about, where do they change? Where do they kind of like if we look at like the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, you didn't see this type of behavior. Where do we see the? What do you think the change occurred at? In the 90s, 90s, in the 80s. Really? Yeah, I think that hip-hop, as much as it seemed like some MLK movement where you know, we're going to, like, now we're going to, you know, find out what the black man in the hood is going through, mm. it just turned into a, a, a green light to be as degenerate as you can. You know, as long as you're rapping, it's fine. As mm. long as you're rapping, you go ahead and rob people because you're a rapper. You're an artist. You're telling us about the hood. But they don't understand like everybody does not turn into little Wayne. Everybody doesn't get book deals and brand deals like Drake. Some of them Mm -hmm. are just now degenerate. I don't want to say the word. Yeah. (laughs) I never, I never understood the idea of why the N word is like so verboten for white people to say, and then yet black people drop it in the music nonstop and then get upset when white people sing said music they create. It's just like, wait a minute. If the word is racist, why are you using it? What's the intent behind this? Because it's, I feel like a lot of it's because they wear it as a badge of honor. But what are you really doing here? 
you're, you're resurfacing something that should have been dead and buried a long time ago. But it seems like now it's just a very common thing and people don't seem to care. Yeah. I mean, rappers are mostly stupid and we give them way too much like credit for being these intelligent or thought out people. And they're not, they, they, you know, they do see themselves as, as inhuman. That's why they, they prefer to themselves to that word. They're Mm -hmm. not stupid enough to understand that it's a bad word and we probably shouldn't be saying it, but there's an entitlement to be, you know, the white men can kill people. I'm gonna kill people too. The white men can rape women. I'm a rape woman too. Like they just want to be degenerate. They just, Mm -hmm. I don't understand um, I don't want to speak the wrong word here, but I just, that's my, that's, that's how I feel. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like there is a desire there to get to live out this white man fantasy. And what they think that is, is a man who can get away with rape, a man who can get away with crime, a man who can just be stupid. And you know what I mean? It's, it's like a, a nonstop competition, but the reality is the good white men are not doing that. You know, you're not doing that. You're doing your podcast. You 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 served. You've got a beautiful home. You got beautiful companies. You're nowhere finding women to twerk for you, and you know having the time of your life. But that is the dumbing down of, you know, telling black people constantly that the white man is your oppressor. They they don't know. They ha- they're not actually having conversations with white men to understand that you struggle too. Some of y'all have had poverty. You, your parents have died. Like all types of things have happened. There's no conversation. They're just being told by some old head dude in the hood, the white man, the white man, white man. It's there's no it's there's no realistic conversation because you're he's not actually he's not actually white and able to tell you the truth. You see? Mm. Sorry, I went on a tangent again. Yeah. But I You're good. You're good. It seems like, you know, do you see this changing in the future? What do you see happening in the future? Where's uh, the cultural issues? Black men are going to lose their women. That's it's it's already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the divest movement is huge on TikTok. It makes me sad sometimes. Really? Yeah, there's that's why my page is bigger over there because mm-hmm. black women support me a lot over there more than they do on Twitter. I think on Twitter, it's very still kind of in the, the stone ages a little bit <laughs> with, you know, but if you go on, on TikTok, if you sift through all the anti-whiteness, you'll find a lot of black women who are not afraid to talk about some of the things I'm talking about as it pertains to black men. And I think that's what's going to happen. They, they're going to completely lose their women. And, you know, when you have people like Pearl who doesn't understand that she's literally farming these men that black women are leaving no hate to her but she doesn't understand a lot of those men that are following her are mad because they're who's, being rejected who's pearl mm-hmm. no who, who is pearl pearl the the girl like she's she's got red hair and she's always on youtube talking about women and dating and all okay. these things and i just feel like the type of men black men i'm not talking about the white men the black men that she is pandering to it's mm. they're mad because women like me won't date them mm. so they hate me so they go to her so they can you know feel good about somebody talking down about women but the reality is like i said what holds for the future for black men is you they're going to lose their women mm. we are not going to keep sitting around while they make podcasts and keep saying how disgusting black women are 
do you think I want to sleep with a man who gets online and tells everybody that black women are disgusting and horrible? No, I don't want to sleep with them. And they're stupid. That's how stupid they are. These men think that they can continue to tell the world that we black women are horrible things. And then they're not understanding why black women are not wanting to date black men anymore because you, you, you obviously don't like us. I can't imagine getting online and telling everybody I hate black men. I've never said that, but let's say I did. Mm -hmm. And then going and finding a black man who's expressing frustration with black women and then being confused why he doesn't like me. He watched my podcast. Mm -hmm. he, he, he's seen, and it's not just the podcast. These podcasters that are like this, they have followers. So I don't care if it's just one podcaster or five podcasters. They have millions of followers. Why are you following? Why is the black community of men? Why are you following men that are saying this about the women mm -hmm. and not understanding that it's completely just dividing and destroying our race? It is. So they're going to lose their women. That's it. And you see it every day. Every day you can go on TikTok and you can find beautiful, gorgeous black women that are dating outside of their race. Why? Why would we keep doing that? You know, we don't have anything here. Feels like if that does happen, though, black men are going to hate white men all the more for, quote unquote, stealing their women. Good. Oh, wow. <laughs> what they deserve. You should have. They should have showed some respect. You know, mm -hmm. they forget that women like me exist. You know, they forget that we're not all 400 pound obese, bonic speakers. Some of us are women that they are attracted to. Mm -hmm. And guess what? When you talk about them, you lose me, too. Mm -hmm. You know, so, Yeah. It's what they deserve at this point. And I've just gotten past the point of, of being, of caring. If people think I hate my race of men, I don't hate them. They hate me. Mm -hmm. And now I'm telling you how it's made me feel to sit online and observe this for the last 20, 20 years, mm -hmm. you know? It's interesting. We talk about like single parent households and the single parent uh, home for children. There's like a 73, 74% single parent households in black communities, which was leaving children, multiple children, fatherless to be raised by the streets, by gangs, by the hip hop community, which is kind of like, well, where does the, where does the average black man, where's the average black kid learn his morals? Where does he learn this from? If not with a father figure and a mother that maybe is not on the up and up herself either. You know, we talk so much about black men walking out on their families, but the, also these white, or excuse me, these black women are having multiple children multiple, with multiple different men where is where is the um, the home front? You know, where where are they supposed to have some semblance of a normal lifestyle versus having multiple men, multiple people brought into their lives, then leaving their lives, being raised to think that violence is the only means of uh, procuring things you want? Where where is the fix to this? Again, they are going to lose their women, and only then will this race of men realize they went too far. Mm -hmm you cannot treat me like that and then get me to go outside and scream at a cop for you. Mm -hmm. And that is insane that they think they can abandon the children and then come and return to the single black mothers and tell us to go outside and fight the police, even though they've abandoned the children and they make the neighborhoods unsafe. Mm -hmm. So that is the future. There is no fix. Just like Scott Adams says, get away from them. And I, I and I agree with him. If you're mm -hmm. a good meaning white person, you need to get away from Pookie. Mm -hmm. Okay. The black woman, you need to get away from him. 
It's, it's, it's interesting you say that. Like, if, if, you know, if a white guy tells black women, it's like, look, if you want to protect yourself and your family, get away from black men, and then they'll be labeled racist. Like, but how is that racist if you're saying a thing to help black women achieve safety, the comfort, you know, being able to raise their children? We say, like, look, if these these pookies, like you call them, if you don't get away from them, they're going to they're going to they're like anchors. They're going to drag you down like these people are not really successful. I've never seen regardless of which color, when you have a very low education rate, when you have one of the biggest things lacking, I think, in men in general is ambition and your ambition is mediocrity. Well, why would any woman want to subject herself to, you know, submitting to a man that would provide that for her and a potential family? Right. And who's conquered. Okay. Mm. I don't want a conquered man. And I know that's like kind of harsh, but they're conquered. They never got up after being conquered. They say they hate white supremacy, but they go to McDonald's, they go to Burger King. They seem to love white supremacy. They Mm. only hate it online. You know, if these black men really hated white supremacy or whatever you want to call it, whatever we call that, they burn this whole place down. Mm-hmm. They are very comfortable with the white man and all that he provides, you know, and then he knows that we can't survive. Black people would literally die if we didn't feed us. If there wasn't the, the whole shipping and trucking program to, you know, ship produce and all that stuff, the production line, I don't know what that's called, but I know white people invented it. We would, <laughs> they know it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's over. It's, it's, those people are the way they are. And people you understand, black people are not all the same. There is the pookies and then there is the non pookies. And it is time for the non pookies to get the heck away from the rest and mm-hmm. stop trying to get people to treat us as, a tribe, you know, because that's how the media acts. Like we're a tribe, we're all one, but I, they're not my tribe. I'm not their teammate. And I, that's, that's the only solution is I have to now separate myself and I have to tell white people and anybody else, please, please, please do not, do not group us together. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not all one. Like, I don't, I don't know him, you know, I don't know him and his ratchet mama. Like I'm over here living my life. You know, I would never hurt you. And I, I mean no harm to you. I just want people to understand that we're different now. And that's that's it. That's the only thing that's going to save us. But if people keep thinking that we're all the same, we're headed for a, a race war. You know, it's like the only thing that feels like it's already us. here. Huh? It feels like it's already here to a degree. Yeah. We're, we watch things like downtown Chicago where you have uh, just hundreds of black teenagers assaulting people. They were assaulting the white couple and stuff like that. And if you say anything about it, well, then you're a racist. But it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, if the white community starts to take on the attitude of the black community, there will be a race war. There, hundred percent, will. It's already happening in France right now. France with their um, their protests. You know, you see a lot of these black immigrants coming in, and they're taking to the streets, waving their home country's flags, and they're attacking white French nationalists. Like, it's a race war. And I mean, in America, it's going to be even even ten times worse due to guns. It's going to be yeah. ten times worse. But yeah, it's really disheartening because. Mm-hmm. I try my best, you know, and, you know, my memes and stuff, they go viral, like, it's funny or whatever. But sometimes I wish, like, I, when I'm telling people that there is a sector in my race who is very dangerous, and if you keep turning your back on them, it's going to be too late when you realize that, you know, what's happening is what's happening. I mean, we've seen a picture recently of five teens. I mean, the, the middle one looked like he was like 12 years old mm-hmm. and they're all holding like AR type style guns, you know, mm-hmm. even with the silencers and the, what are those extender things? I don't know. But 
like, how are they getting these guns? And to keep thinking that it's not common for a 15-year-old kid in the hood who doesn't have a father figure or a mother who's able to keep up with what he's doing every day, if you if they think it's uncommon that that that, that they for them to get these guns, we're all like we're all just sitting ducks. It's there's no way that it's not easy for them to get these guns when we keep seeing them with these guns. It's and you know, people need to stop being afraid and we need to support people who who talk about this stuff. And I know why people are afraid and I know people are nervous, but get over it. You know what I mean? Like, get over it. You can't keep submitting to being called a racist and being afraid of being called a racist. You don't want to wait until something really bad happens and and then you feel compelled to say something. You're not racist if you say, Black people who are violent make me uncomfortable and I would not like to be around them. Because we don't have a problem saying white people who are violent make me uncomfortable and I don't want to be around them. So fair is fair. Yeah. And I and until white people can can get to that place, I'm just like I'm on my own. <laughs> you know? It feels I'm like it's changing though. It seems like there's more white people coming out saying, Look, let's just call for what it is. There was the black NBA player, not um WNBA, excuse me, not the uh Brittany Grenier, not that dude. But there was this other one that just came out and talked about, you know, being born on the 4th of July, being born white in America is just like white privilege, yada, yada, yada. It's like, look, let's just be honest. What has black contemporary culture really brought to the table in any any stretch of the imagination? What have you really brought? You've brought a lot of, de- specifically to your own community. You kill each other in record numbers. Your education levels are just horrendous right now. You can't blame whites on that because you keep electing the same people into office that keep feeding you the same BS and painting white people is the issue. It's like, and until you wake up from this, you're you're basically still on the mental slavery planta- plantation of slavery. It's like you are buying into this victimhood mentality. And what has it really done for you? Nothing. And it's just, I feel like more white people are finally getting fed up saying, look, you can call me racist. I don't care. As like, but I'm sick and up. tired. I am sick and tired of like black people coming towards whites. Like you, but, 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 like, look, I didn't do a damn thing to you. You don't get to blame me for anything. And the sins of my fathers and ancestors don't fall on me. Less than 4% of whites actually own slaves and they were very wealthy and blacks also own slaves in America to include native Americans. But people want to forget history so they can kind of twist the narrative to fit their bias and attack really at the, at the root of it is the racist. They just want to say, well, it's white people's faults. Like, and then if white people like me come back and refute it and combat it, well, then you're the racist. Like, no, you're just, full of shit is what it really is about right like and let's be honest about slavery here okay Mm -hmm. there's a reason it lasted for 400 years and it wasn't because male slaves were docile innocent creatures you know and i i know people are going to get mad at me for saying this but this is true there's literally documents where they went to court because a male slave had raped a a nine-year-old slave girl Mm -hmm. i didn't know this and I posted the documents like oh, I bet I'll that was well it. received. <laughs> but it I got like, that was really well received. Terrified of the post. It got like 40 likes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. And I'm just saying that like all this talk about us and everything, like there's so much being omitted. We did not deserve slavery. That is not what I'm yeah, saying at yeah, all. Right. But there's an element to why it lasted so long, mm-hmm. you know. And we don't talk about those elements. Yeah, they were afraid to release us when there was proof that we were raping children on plantations or we were slaved. You know, I, not the women, but the men. Like, 
there there was things that kept it going. And I'm not saying any of that validates it, but I'm just saying right. the same way we talk about the black rights today. Yes, George Floyd is a victim, but let's talk about who George Floyd was, okay? Mm -hmm. He broke into a house where there was a toddler in, in, in the house, in the home. He put a gun up against a pregnant woman's abdomen. And when she screamed for help, his buddy, another black man, came in and beat her up. And he stood there and watched so that they could rob her. That's who he is. So, yeah, it's wrong, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But there are details there that also matter. Mm -hmm. And somebody who does that to a woman where there's a toddler in the home, he doesn't deserve to be a statue. Yeah, I agree. And it was Let also very, very ironic that the mural they built of him or they made on the side of a building got struck by lightning. It's like, hmm. <laughs> I didn't like, know that. Oh, no, no. I swear to God, if you go look it up and you go look up the article, George Floyd Monument struck by lightning legitimately happened and it actually destroyed it. And I was just like, look, uh, I believe in God. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that every single thing's like, it's a sign. It's like, but that right there should tell you something. Like, I look, I mean, come on. Of all things, it strikes the George Floyd Memorial and by, with lightning. And it's like, um, what would you call that then? A freak act? I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, someone. I've actually, I haven't heard God this in a while. <laughs> God is like, I'm sick of your crap, Pookie. Anyway, I've got... <laughs> I got this guy in my chat in Rumble. I haven't seen this one in a while. I said, Burke is a white supremacist. He burned a cross on a deployment. Yeah, that actually happened, but it wasn't me. I was a squad leader in Iraq, and we were a bunch of us infantry guys. We had this one guy in the squad named Dickerson who was black, and he, he made people know it. He made people very aware. It was the idea of, like, if you said anything, he would just be like, because I'm black, it's like, stop. Because in the Army back in the olden days, it was kind of like nobody gives a damn about your skin color. Like, we crackers, nigger, nobody, call, nobody cared. But it was because it was out of love. It's like, but if we get under fire, I'm going to have your back and you're going to have mine. It's like we share foxholes. There's none of that bullshit on the battlefield. It's like we joke about it. We make light right. of it. And um, nobody, nobody ever took it seriously. But then there was this one night, uh, Soto and Holly were burning some pallets and they, and them and Dickerson would always go back and forth and they just nailed two things together to make it look like a cross. Like what power? And they were just laughing about it. And Dickerson was just shaking his head. I remember telling Dickerson's like, are you, you all right? He's like, yeah, it's a fucking joke. But then later he gets offended. It's like, they did this. Like, wait a minute. It was a joke. And you make jokes too about racism, but when suddenly somebody else does it, and that's right. the problem that is created to where people are kind of like, oh my God, that's so racist. Like it was a joke, but it's not a joke until you don't want it to be when you can actually right. weaponize it against somebody for racism. And that's the kind of shit that just blows me away about stuff. Like, cause I've heard that before. It's Dickerson. Dickerson's always, anytime there's something race related, he just comes in as like Burke's racist, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, super racist. Dickerson, super racist. By the way, you made it home How alive. How are you You're racist when, like, you, John? I, I'm so grateful for your existence in my life. Like, you, you come into my life like at the perfect time, and I, I'm, I'm super racist. If you didn't know that, I've got a cross burning <laughs> in my backyard right now. Yeah, it's, it's there. It's there. Sharika, if you had one message to send to black women right now, and every black woman in America could hear what you had to say, what would you tell them right now? You need to divest. Okay. They are beating up pro-black women, okay? They go outside, they protest, and then they go home and they're getting beat up by their baby daddy. It does not matter if you're pro-black or not, they don't respect us. Mm -hmm. So you need to focus on yourself, respect yourself, center yourself, and think about dating outside of your race. And if you don't wanna date outside of your race, definitely make sure 
that whoever you bring into your life respects you and respects women. And for the for for our own health and our own future, it is time for Black women to divest from the Black community and the toxicity. Powerful. Sharika, I can't thank you enough for coming on today's show episode. It's been a while. I've been, I've been trying to get you to do this for a while because when I first came across your Twitter feed, it's like, this woman knows what she's talking about, and she's going to draw a lot of attention to her and a lot of hatred, but you've handled it very well. And I know you definitely inspire a lot of people, and even my audience, like, she's wonderful. They love hearing what you have to say, and they're they're all different races. They don't give a shit. They like, they oh, like the idea guys. of freedom and liberty. Uh, and Sharika's also talking about streaming. So she's talking about possibly going over on Kicker Twitch and starting to do something like that. Um, and we'll definitely, you know, the show will definitely support you there. But where can they find you? I'm on Twitter, you know, and uh, that's, you know, just come to my Twitter, Sharika Soul, S-O-A-L 84. That's where you can find me. And I'm friendly. I like to reply to the nice people. So don't be afraid. To I'm surprised you hi. even bother reading comments with your audience <laughs> size. I used to have a large audience. I got banned on everything. I got banned on Facebook, YouTube. Like I lost everything during COVID because they were just kind of like, it's medical misinformation, even though it came to be true How about that. Right. Uh, but I, the one thing I had to learn very quickly, which was very difficult to do, was not to read the comments because it will suck you down the rabbit hole. And then, you know, it, it, I had a I had a friend one time tell me, he's like, you've literally spent an hour arguing with a stranger on the internet that doesn't give a shit about you. Like, what are you doing? That hour could have been spent doing something to better yourself. And I was just like, you're right. You're <laughs> right. You're right. Help. <laughs> you can't help it though. Cause it's just like, <laughs> but I think it's been a very interesting blessing in disguise as far as getting banned on a lot of stuff, because I'm not as engaged in social media anymore. And I feel like it's kind of allowed me to refocus and repurpose myself towards things that I enjoy doing, like tango with the girlfriend. Like we love doing it. It's just, it, we have so much fun and passion and traveling and going different places when oh. it's on social media though. You know, I don't know if you're anything like me. The first thing I do when I usually wake up is I check the alarm, you know, and then it's, I hate to say it. I pop open Twitter. It's like, what's trending? <laughs> what's the news? Because like, I'm, I'm talking about it on the show, but I feel that poison just seep into your mind and it just decays and eats at you. And now apparently new news is that uh, Facebook is releasing their own version of Twitter. And I was like, oh, this is just great. We just, we just, we need more of this app, more it's toxicity. You think so? Yeah, because Twitter is Twitter because it's always kind of let people say what they want. I mean, I know they do the banning and all this stuff. But yeah. for the most part, like, you can post porn. You can do all this stuff on there. And Instagram this, this, has never I been around. I don't get this. I got banned on Twitter in the new Elon regime for making a dark humor joke about saying, like, where's a trans shooter when you need one? When it was in regards to, like, some dudes, like, naked in front of children at a gay pride. It's like, where's a trans shooter when you need one? I was like, that's not a death threat. That's not calling for violence. That's a dark humor joke. And they banned me. And I'm like, so it's really not what Elon claims it's going to be. But I really yeah. feel like the, the fate, not granted, was it, was it a good joke? No, but come on. We laugh at way worse. People, right. let's just, let's get the sticks out of our ass for one second here. But I think Facebook one is going to flop. I'm going to try. I just, I just want to say. But I think it's going to flop because the extreme censorship that Facebook has implemented in these last two or three years is destroying the platform. Like they're, they're hitting people from like three or four or five years ago for something they posted. It's like, boom, right. flag. You're like, what the hell? Right. Yeah, I don't. I was banned on uh, Facebook in 2019. 
I posted something about pedophilia mm -hmm. and they said it wasn't community friendly. So I went to Twitter and I created a hashtag pedo book and you know, the hashtag actually started to go uh, viral. Nick long story short, I went back to my Facebook when I was supposed to be unbanned and they had completely, they said I was, I was banned. Mm -hmm. So I think it's because I was tweeting at them on face, you know, on my, on my Twitter and I was calling them pedos and I was showing, what they had banned me for. They said I was banned for 30 days. I don't care about Facebook. It's just, it's ghetto. Like, why do people even want to be over there? I think it's because I think that's where like the birth of social media really was. It was Facebook and then Instagram, then Twitter. So it's kind of like the boomer crowd has remained on Facebook. <laughs> the only thing I still have, I still got like a page with 30,000 followers over there, but it's so, um, so shadow banned. Nobody sees what I post. So it's just like what I should have done from the get go was start a podcast and push everyone to the podcast. So that way, if I get banned, the podcast is still there and they can't touch it, which is what I'm working on now. But it's uh, it's just it's insane to see where our um, where the international culture has gone in a sense, if you think about it on, on social media and with the negative effects social media have interjected its in, into our lives. Like right. just one comment, one post can just make you have a bad day, just a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. After today, I'm going to take a break. And so I have to uh, post again. So like three days and take a break. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Sharika, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> I will have this ready to go here in about like maybe 30 minutes. It'll be uploaded wherever podcasts are downloaded. iTunes, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio. It's there. You can find us on rumble.com or rumble at John Burke, kick.com slash John Burke. You can find Sharika Soul on Twitter. Also, you said your TikTok. I, you, I don't know if you're still using that or not, but that's where Barely. they can go find you. If you want to go see a black woman really stick it to her own, go look at her Twitter. I'm telling you, you're going to look at her like, God. Damn. It's like, that's what I'm talking about. She says the things that a lot of people are thinking, and I respect the hell out of that. Sharika, it has been an absolute honor. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Okay. Well, folks, that does it for today's episode of the All-American Savage Show podcast. I want to thank you for being here. Make sure you check out shellshockcbd.com. Again, right now, we are still running the great 4th of July day sale, 15% off using code LIBERTY. Code Liberty on 1920brand.com or shellshockcbd.com, 15% off and earn double the reward points. What are you waiting for? Go jump on it now. Stock up. Want to appreciate everybody that is in the kick chat, the rumble chat. If you could do me a favor, share this. Share the show. It'll be on iTunes. It'll be all of it. Share it with your friends. Tweet it out. And by the way, I got banned on Twitter. You can find me now on Twitter at JohnBurke39. Again, JohnBurke39. That's where I'm at. I'm out of here. Got to edit this and then hop a flight over to St. Louis. And then uh, third Friday. No, 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 no. Thursday, tomorrow, I will be on Andy Frasilla's Real AF podcast. Excited for that. And then on Friday, heading over to Austin Peterson to go be on his show and then coming back Saturday. Love you guys. You guys have a great day. And as always... You stay savage, America.